0: Hello, everyone. It's David Warren. Welcome again to the Authentic Dad podcast. Chag Sameach. Happy Passover. Happy Spring. Happy Easter. Thanks for joining me today. I interview a good friend of mine. His name is Matthew Bennett. He's a colleague. He's an old friend. We have a really fun conversation about uh, fathering and lawyering and life and our mutual love of Bob Dylan, Wanted to get a guy on here that wasn't uh, an expert or a coach or a therapist and um, just a guy like me just to kind of shoot the shit as they say. And I thought it worked out pretty well and I really think he's an interesting guy and he has got a cool story. So I hope you like it. If you want to reach out to me, it's F-U-R-T-H-U-R.coach. Further.coach, please consider, as always, the five-star review. And if you are in need of support, you know how to find me. Um, You can fill out the contact form. I give a free 30-minute phone conversation, consultation, whatever you want to call it. If you have feedback, want to be a guest, nobody knows someone who wants to be a guest, reach out. I look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you on the other side. All right, I'm here with my good friend, Matthew Matt Bennett. And, you know, I have had, as we were talking about, a lot of coaches, therapists, therapists, experts and i just wanted to have a dad on matt's a dad not a normal dad i don't know if there's a such thing but he's a great guy he's uh he's a he's a young man only 50 years old he's got uh, two kids both girls 12 and 14 he's been married for 16 years and he's an attorney and i think his story is interesting i don't think it's a straight line it wasn't just went to school became a lawyer he he, he had some um he had he veered off and really interesting directions and and i want to hear from that he also um he's got a lot of cool hobbies he's he's a photographer he's got all these beautiful photographs you can't see it here but i can see all these photographs that he does he travels he plays music he's a huge bob dylan fan which we bonded on um years and years ago and it's a pleasure man thank you very much for joining me
1: well of course i mean we always talk as friends and now to do something like this and kind of you know, talk formally or informally about, about life. I, I just think it's yeah. great what you're doing with the podcast and I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, it's called the authentic dad podcast and you are one of the most, whatever this means to you, authentic dads. I know because you are who you are. You don't apologize for that. Um, you have a wonderful, unusual, quirky sense of humor. Like I do. And I just really appreciate your company.
1: Well, thank you. That's a, that, um, that means a lot to me. Cause I, I do think, authenticity is, is important in people. And that's the trade I look for in friends and, and you have the same, same thing.
0: Yeah. You're, well, you're the real deal. And let's um, for, for those um, who don't know you run, you wrote this beautiful email to me, but like I said, let me, let me get a little background I can read, but I didn't read it. Cause it's so good. I want you to say, uh, give me a little, it's like your story and your attorney, your dad, you live um, near me outside of Washington, DC. In a nutshell, give me the cliff notes of, of how you, so, what's been going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I started out, you know, grew up in Pikesville, mm-hmm. uh, graduated from there, went to University of Maryland, then took a year off, then went to law school. And out of law school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, but I found out that I wanted to uh, at least get a law degree, which I did. And then my dad said, why don't you come work for me? And my, my dad, dad, dad was a lawyer. Yeah, my, my dad's a lawyer and he's a terrific guy, um, but I, I was very immature back then. I didn't think about money or wife and kids and all that. I was 26 years old and a little bit of a free spirit and didn't really take the profession seriously then. And um, it, it, you know, I certainly liked working for my dad, but I didn't really like the work. Um, there were some parts of it I liked, but mostly I didn't like it, and I, I didn't really like the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you a story. Maybe I'm veering off track, but a story that kind of encapsulates encapsulates how I was back then is. Yeah. When the NCAA basketball tournament came on television, it was on at noon on the third, the first Thursday, and noon on that Friday. Yeah. And. You know, it's important to work hard, but it's also important to do the things you like. And I liked watching the basketball games. My dad's partner at the time was a real stickler. And I had the TV on my desk, and this is in 96 or 97. And so it wasn't, there was no internet that you could stream it on. It was one of the old-fashioned little TVs with the rabbit ears that you had to, Mm -hmm. you know, put in a certain position to make sure you got reception. And I was watching um, the basketball game, and my dad's partner comes in real sternly and says... uh, it doesn't look good for clients to see you watching tv yeah and so the next day i came in and i I put the tv on the floor behind my desk and i was watching a close game and it just so happened that the reception was getting in and out so i had to lean down and i guess from the outside it looked like i was hiding under my desk or hiding behind my desk and i'm holding i'm fixing the rabbit ears to make sure i could see the game and he comes in matthew didn't we talk about this? Hmm. And I said, well, what you said is it th- doesn't look good for the TV to be on the desk, and now it's on the floor.
0: Loophole, which is a loophole. You found You found it. Yeah.
1: And the story is important because it shows that, number one, I was a little bit of a free spirit back then, and number two, I was immature. But, you know, and, and that was kind of my mindset. I wasn't trying to be a jerk, but I just, you know, I'm like, I felt like, what's the big deal? Let's enjoy life. I'm watching the basketball game. It comes on once a year.
0: Is it also fair to say that the legal profession is quite traditional? And, where well, I-, I can imagine, you know, if you worked for Google or something, they wouldn't, they wouldn't right. do that. I right? I mean,
1: you know, my dad's firm in particular had gone back till the mid eighteen hundreds, and mm-hmm. you know there was a I, there was a line of lawyers going back to like eighteen seventy or whatever. And you know, Jeez. I come from a family of lawyers, and you know, I, I really was not trying to be the bratty boss's son. I wasn't. It was more a reflection of where I was in my life. Yeah. And I tell you that story because I just didn't feel it was fair to them or to me to work when my heart wasn't in it at the time. So I basically said, I'm sorry, Dad. I, I, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this right now. And by the way, I'm also going to move to Paris for the summer.
0: Wait. Wait. And was this the event that prompted you? No, that was wasn't it? the okay. event that prompted okay.
1: me. What, what prompted me was that I just felt that, look, I was young, mm-hmm. starting my professional career. I didn't feel I was doing what I love to do. Now, I can tell you at age 50, doing what you love to do is way down the list of what's important. Yeah. It is important. Right. But at 26, I was more idealistic about things. And I just felt that it wasn't a good fit for me, despite how lovely my dad was to, to work with. I just didn't feel that I was able to yeah. give my heart and soul to it. And, you know, I felt depressed about the whole thing and couldn't really give it my all. And and I just felt that I needed to leave. And it was upsetting for me to tell my dad and it was upsetting for him because you know how dads are. And I probably would be the same way. They think if you get off a certain track, you're never going to get back on.
0: So absolutely. It wasn't no, I,
1: just that I told him I was leaving. I told him I was leaving and that I was going to move to Paris for the summer. Mm-hmm. I had no plan.
0: He's lost you know, his mind. <laughs>
1: Well, he, he was nice about it, of course, but he just felt like I was going to be a hippie and, you know, be one of those guys who grows a, a long beard and long hair and doesn't have any responsibility, mm-hmm. but it was important. I, it wasn't, I felt like I had a choice. I could not stay there. I wasn't doing a good service to myself or my father or the firm. I wasn't mishandling cases. I was doing right. a, a good job and I, I got some experience with some jury trials and some police misconduct cases, but it just wasn't a good fit for me. And the purported idea was for me to go to Europe, live in Paris, and um, I was planning on writing a book. Um, Oh wow! Let me just
0: say, by the way, I totally want to validate. That's a courageous choice. You're young. You have this. Your dad's giving you pressure. You've worked hard. You became a lawyer, and like I'm out of here. And not everybody would do that. And it doesn't sound reckless. It 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 sounds courageous.
1: and, And and a lot of people said I was crazy because my dad had a very good practice and I was basically throwing away a future, not Mm. my only future, but a future. But to me, I I didn't really struggle with the choice. I struggled with telling my dad about the choice, but the choice was easy for me because I didn't feel comfortable moving to Paris. I I had no idea what I was going to do. I had one woman's phone number who was a friend of a friend. I ended up calling her up. She found me a place to stay I, you know, I tried to work on writing a book, but I just don't have the aptitude. And the book what was kind to of be book about, it was going to be about the Baltimore Police because I had some experience in suing the police. Oh, okay. And and there was one particular case that kind of stuck in my craw, and I still remember it. It happened in 1995. That I thought would be a great case. And
0: so, so not the great American novel, but, no. but a nonfiction,
1: a nonfiction book about the Baltimore Police, which mm-hmm. would have been, if I could have done it, it would have been great because. The problems that I saw happening with the Baltimore police played mm. out over the next 25 years, as we all saw with Freddie Gray and yeah. other things of that nature.
0: But and why Paris of all? That's a wonderful place. Just there are many wonderful places. Is there something specific about Paris?
1: Well, so um, you know, I've been. I had been to Paris before, and mm. for those listeners who haven't been there, it's a wonderful city for many, many reasons. We walk throughout the city and the streets are beautiful, the architecture is beautiful they keep, they have these parks that are uh, really you know, the lawn is completely well-manicured with flowers and all kinds of things. The food is great you know, cheese, wine, all that is great and it was an overall experience. I mean, I could have picked somewhere else in Europe but I just just felt
0: the style of Paris. It makes sense, the attitude is to live life and they're, drink, they're having wine and lunch and sitting in the cafes for three hours. So if you're in an office where you can't watch the basketball game, that seems like a place to go.
1: Okay. I mean the, the story with the basketball game, t- just so you know, I mean, that's emblematic of yeah. how I felt at the time. And I wasn't trying to be a brat. And I, I even hesitate to tell that story because I, I didn't act like I'm the boss's son. I'll do what I want. It just was, right. I, I didn't feel like it was so important to have your nose to the grindstone Every minute you're at the office. What yeah. is the big deal if I watch the game for 20 minutes here and there while at the office? I'm with you, right? And so that kind of court, it was a small firm, but the kind of corporate lifestyle wasn't for me. Well, well how
0: long were you in Paris?
1: I stayed there for the, for three months, and mm-hmm. it really wasn't that productive in terms of accomplishing anything. I I just I actually thought also about writing a law review article. and I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I just. Yeah. I found that I did not have that aptitude of being a writer. You know, I still, don't, I still feel I don't have that aptitude, even though I have ideas for what I would like to do. But right. it just was a time where I just was trying to find myself. And when I came back, what, what my dad had done was he was friends with a judge on the circuit court in Baltimore City. Uh-huh. And he spoke to her and he said, Look, would will will you talk to Matt? He's trying to figure out what he wants to do. And yeah. I wasn't hard headed, I was happy to talk to people. And so this judge called me up and said, I have a vacancy. My clerk had to leave. Will you be able to fill in for the next six oh, months? Okay. And I did that. And this is so a- great.
0: I didn't know this about you. So you, were a, <laughs> you, were, you were a clerk and that's, that's a great job. It's, you learned a lot.
1: Yeah. It was weird because I was a clerk after I'd already practiced for two years. So, uh-huh. but I hadn't done any criminal and this judge was on the criminal docket. And that was mm-hmm. important because, and, and her goal was to show me a different side of law. Mm-hmm. and she was um, a, a strict disciplinarian but also very bright and she she helped me see something other than just auto tort accident cases yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that type of work but when <laughs> I was 26 years old I wasn't feeling that
0: yeah no, so just, you have to make that, that disclaimer for those of you <laughs> who are, right right who do personal injury auto tort there's nothing wrong with that
1: right I'm, I'm yeah because I don't want to make that clear. A snob. I don't want to cross the line. <laughs> I'm like, I won't do these type of cases, but it just was the mindset. I was still very young. Oh
0: man! I mean, I another t- interesting yeah. thing. Another. i just. I'm just I totally ask. relate to what you're saying, and I guess I. W- I was. I was a hippie. I mean, it probably was like money's not important and at all, and I think that's not true. We can talk about that, but it's not. I don't think it's as important that a lot of people make well, it I mean, out to be. But there, I really there, thought yeah. it was not. <laughs>
1: There's a certain irony in my position to say money's not important, but I'm going to go to Paris for three months and not work.
0: (laughs) Just going to have a baguette.
1: the, The part of the story I didn't tell you about is that after I gave my dad notice and before I left for Paris, he said, look, can you stick around for another six months? Just help me. And he was trying to get me to change my mind, I think, but his goal was laudable. He wanted me to think about my decision. Yeah. And during that interim period, I was in a bad car accident where I was driving south on um, Baltimore Street. No, I was driving south on St. Paul Street. Mm -hmm. And St. Paul, and I got to the light at Baltimore, it was green. And driving, saw nothing that would cause me pause, driving like a regular person down a regular road and some fire truck Uh, came out of nowhere and and hit me and put me in shock trauma. Hmm. And so the reason I tell that story is, well, that's what funded my trip to Paris, the settlement Ah. from that case. And so like after that- The personal injury case, right? (laughs) uh, Yeah, I'm definitely not, I'm definitely leaving now, you know?
0: Well, I want to point out that maybe for some people, ah, what's the big deal? He's going to Paris for this and that. But it actually is a big deal because- you know, you, you went to law school, you passed the bar, you became a lawyer and lawyers are so like forward There's a path that was laid out. And, and oh, you sure. said, uh, I'm going to go this way for a little bit. And that's actually a big deal, especially when you've invested so much time and so much money into doing this thing. And many people have done that, but I don't think it's as common. And um, so it, it's a, it is a definitely a conversation Um you know, that I'm sure your father was not expecting, let's say.
1: Well, and, you know, in retrospect, because, let's see, my dad was slightly older than I am now when I told him. Mm -hmm. was Probably Mm -hmm. early 50s. In retrospect, I completely understand where he was coming from. Right. Because
0: now you're an an old dad yourself.
1: (laughs) Exactly. You have this fear that, I mean, obviously the most important thing is your children and right. you want your children to do well and to, and to have a career and to be self-sufficient. And, you know, I'm sure it caused my dad some angst as if my daughter at that same age said, look, I appreciate you helping me out with law school. And now I've gotten a <laughs> law degree and I'm just going to throw it down the toilet. Cause I'm, I'm out of here. Eat, <laughs> eat a baguette and, and brie.
0: So right, I completely right,
1: right. understand him and his heart was in the right place, but yes. at the time I couldn't do it. I I couldn't continue practicing law. We totally came back. I came back. I clerked for this judge Mm
0: -hmm.
1: through the judge. I met a lawyer in Baltimore named Dwight Pettit.
0: Yeah.
1: He's a very, very well-known lawyer in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And he called me up one day and said, I understand your clerkships ending. Uh, You want to come work for me on a contract basis? I said, Sure. And shortly thereafter, he brought me in on a very high-profile murder case. And then we had some police misconduct cases and some other stuff. And it was a great experience. And I'm friends with him to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I just talked to him the other day. And we were reminiscing and laughing. But that was my next career move. But I still wasn't sold on the idea of being a full-time lawyer. And kind of, I still wasn't at the point where money was a paramount Importance. You know, I was renting a room from mm-hmm. someone in a house in Federal Hill. The rent was like five hundred dollars a month. I had food cost, I had health health insurance, and not much else.
0: Well, law is one of those professions that there's an entire industry of people whose job it is to get people out of practicing law. But, you know, to career transition, to career change. So there's there's so many. I'm not saying, and you're a wonderful, amazing, passionate lawyer but there's many people who it's very common. They go through this and like, what? And they don't want to do it or it's too stressful or it's not for them because we didn't really get a sense of what it was to practice when we were in law school. And there's just so many unhappy um, attorneys. And like I said, I don't know of any other industries where there's an entire industry trying to get people out of their chosen industry. So for those who aren't familiar with the law business, um, this is a common story, not not, your, not the common story in that there's a there's a, people aren't fulfilled all the time doing this, and I'm not bad mouthing or poo pooing it. I'm a lawyer, but I certainly can understand um, the you know you weren't all in at that point.
1: I definitely wasn't all in. I, I I was sitting on the fence, deciding what I wanted to do, and I needed some income, and I worked for Dwight, and he was wonderful to work with. His staff was great, and we developed a great rapport, and we. You know, we, we had some interesting cases and, you know, I was deciding what my next move was when I met the person who now is my wife. Mm-hmm. I met her at a cafe in Baltimore and we ended up dating for about a year. And we knew that we were going to get married. I felt that.
0: Well, back up. So was she just having a cup of Joe and you're like, Hey,
1: So I used to hang
0: out. I I don't know. How does that work? You want
1: to get the details? A little bit, a little little, little bit. There's a cafe in in South Baltimore on Charles street called one world cafe. Oh yeah. I like that place. And yeah. Well, there was another one up by Hopkins, but this Mm -hmm. was the original one. And I'm very familiar. I used to go there all the time. I got to know the owner. I I got to know all the people who went there and, you know, I would go to work and I'd, I'd, Come back, and I'd be like, Well, what should I do now? Sit home and watch TV. I'm like, "No, nah, if it's summer, I'd go sit at the cafe, have yeah. a cup of co- coffee, read the paper. And, you know, you, you get to know people, the regulars there. And there was a group of au pairs who would go there. And I became friendly with some of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I didn't have any particular goals in mind. I wasn't trying to date anyone or anything in particular like that. But, you know, there nice people I met a woman from Germany, a woman from France, whatever. And so what would happen is once you met a couple, you were kind of in so you knew them so if a new young woman came Mm. you 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 kind of were a known quantity and not some stranger it's a good angle I wasn't trying to play any angles it just you know I just and I never was I never wanted to be one of those guys who walked up and say oh so what are you doing for breakfast this morning all that nonsense (laughs) that's just you know it's completely (laughs) not who I am and I was, I, I remember I, I had a little scruff. I was wearing a, a white t-shirt. There was a pool table up there. We used to play pool. Um, and and the in the back room behind the pool table, there was a bunch of women and she was there and she's very attractive. And so I walked up to her and I said, uh, well, she was standing next to someone I knew. So it wasn't, yeah. I, I shouldn't be lauded for my bravery and just walking up to some random woman. She was standing next to someone I knew. I said, hello, I'm Matthew. And she said, what her name was and you know it took off from there but when she when her visa ended her the the au pair um, stint was for one year when that ended she went back home
0: to Estonia
1: to to Estonia yeah I never been there before I mean I obviously knew about it because part of the former Soviet Union and As I mentioned, I was a history major, and that came in very handy when I first met her because she said Estonian, and I knew where it was. So there, kids. (laughs) She's the only
0: American she met that knew where (laughs) it was. Right, right.
1: And we laugh about it to this day, but we decided we wanted to stay together, but we were thousands of miles apart. And again, I was sitting on the fence with my law career, and I said, I would be open to working there if there was a job you could get me. She called me two weeks later. She said, there's an opening to teach law at this university. Wow. And I said, I'm in.
0: And so. What did your dad think of that?
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure he thought I was crazy. Yeah. But at least I was going somewhere where there was a job this time. And
0: you money getting paid. Right. You had to see about a girl.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we. I flew there. Uh, she had a, an apartment. Moved right in. Met the people at the school, they assigned me a couple of classes to teach, and I was off and running. Um, and th- that was a very good experience. That's Estonia. very fun. Estonia's that sounds a good so place. fun, yeah. Yeah, I mean, be careful to go in winter though, because the winter I was there, it was uh-huh. extraordinarily cold. I mean, it's Estonia is very far north. Um, you know, uh-huh. the equivalent of where Estonia would be in North America would be in northern Canada. I mean, it's very far. Wow. North.
0: Well, it's also, it's very exciting though. You, you're you dating a new relationship and you're in Europe and you're teaching and it just, it all sounds very romantic and exciting. It was a great life
1: because yeah. I, I worked part-time, but I got paid decently. Um, you know, so I taught two classes. I'll tell you, I, I learned to respect teachers a lot more. Not that I had a lack of respect for teachers, but when you're a teacher and every You have class, you got to be prepared to talk for 50 minutes or an hour and a half or whatever it is. And that's an arduous task. And
0: that's a lot of preparation.
1: Yeah, I wanted to do well. Um, The students were from Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, and mostly um, nice people. Um, I I liked being in a foreign country. I liked um, where I was at the time. It wasn't probably the most, um, it wasn't the ideal place projecting out the next 20 years. But I mm-hmm. wasn't thinking like that. I'm here now. Yeah. The woman I love. Yeah. Make, making a living and, and teaching law. So. it satisfies
0: uh, the free spirit, the sort of. Right. Uh, the but the school
1: open. ended up um, having some financial troubles and that mm-hmm. job ended. So I ended up going back mm-hmm. to Maryland. I didn't have an uh-huh. apartment. So I stayed with my mom for a little bit. Uh-huh. I then got a job for a firm in Rockville. Yeah, I worked there for a couple of years, um, and again, you know, I don't I want to. I don't want to come across as a difficult person, but
0: <laughs> too late. Be, 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 well, no, because I'm I just think, kidding. You know, me. Wait, but you you come back, but you're still dating. She's in Estonia.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay. we kept our relationship alive. I just didn't have a job there; it wasn't practical.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, um, I can't remember when I came back, but several months later, you know. I was looking for a job. I found a job for a firm in Rockville. Yeah. And so I got an apartment and then she came over here that I proposed. I went back to the place we met, bought oh my- a cup of tea for her. And, um, you know, the, it was, the, where they served it with a little kettle of, of hot water. Yeah, yeah. And the cup was empty. So I turned the cup upside down and put the ring oh,
0: there. That's very cool.
1: And I handed it to her and she's like, what's this? I'm like, it's tea. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, well, you gotta lift up the, the cup. And she's like, she found the ring and then I Tee proposed. She with and... a
0: side of diamonds. <laughs> How long did you guys date before you proposed?
1: I can't remember. <laughs>
0: okay. So but I hope that's not a sensitive topic.
1: Well, no, I mean <laughs> no, I, I, it, it was remember. it was um probably three years, maybe four years. Oh, okay. So it was a long while. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a while. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I worked for this firm in Rockville and You know, Mm -hmm. I found that to be very stressful. The person I worked for was quite difficult. And, um, you know, the person I worked for was difficult and I didn't want to stay there. And so I ended up giving my notice. Um, Mm -hmm. I said, you can have 30 days, two weeks, whatever you want. I had a one month old baby at home at the time.
0: Okay. So at some point you had a kid. Yeah. With your wife from well, Estonia yes. who was moved Correct. to America right okay yes and i was working Very for nice. this firm
1: and i decided i don't i i, I don't want to yeah. do this right now at with this firm and again i it wasn't that i was against the practice of the law, just i wasn't it's hard to work for other people it's hard to
0: work for other people when someone's not nice some well, 100% and some people really even if the boss is nice aren't built for You know, my wife tells me I'm one of those people who just has to do it their own way, but not in a way that's, you know, trying to be difficult. I get along very well and very agreeable. But some people's brains work better when they have the space to do it their own way.
1: Right. And you
0: may be one of those.
1: I think I'm one of those people because I don't think by and large I'm a difficult person. I guess that's for other people to decide. But I just felt like, you know, I wanted to do a practice that was my own, but I was scared because I had no clients. I didn't yeah. know what I was going to do, but I knew that I couldn't stay there because it's just too taxing on me mentally.
0: And you had a little kid. So you, there's a finance. Now there's the financial. Pressure. Now yeah. there's no trips to Paris or anything
1: like that. Now yeah. it's y- you go out, you open your firm and you hustle to get as much business as you can to help people
0: was your wife working at that point or were you? She was
1: working, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. She
1: she you know, she 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 was making you know, between her salary and, and what I was bringing in when I started, mm-hmm. you know, we were struggling, but we believed in ourselves.
0: You're living in Baltimore or no, Rockville? area? And we were
1: living in an apartment in Rockville, and then we okay. moved to an apartment. For those who don't State,
0: know, Montgomery County, Maryland, right outside Washington, DC. I'm not gonna assume everybody knows what the hell we're talking about, but just put, right. put that out there.
1: Right. So and then, and then, you know, from there, it's been like a blur in the last 15 years, but a good blur. Yeah. You know, you build your business, you make connections in the community. Uh, yeah. People refer you cases, you do good work, you refer people cases and the practice built. And I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for the friends I've made and for the fact that I've been able to sustain a business and, and make a good living over the years.
0: And I do think and we can talk about this. This is an actual serious question because you talked about your free spiritness. I think you're a creative guy. I think you have. Um, I'm looking at all your photography and I think you think out of the box and I'm wondering as a fellow Bob Dylan fan totally serious question, not being sarcastic how do you think Dylan and his music, because it really informs the way I look at the world sometimes, like, do you look how does that inform the way you live is, it, is there a Bob Dylan lens <laughs> somewhere in there that, is yeah. there a lens in there well, because he's this amazing artist who I know that you love and inspires me I've, I've loved Bob Dylan for a long, long time. Um,
1: but my musical taste is not limited to Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I will tell you this um, as a father with the law practice and the stress that comes along with those things, having some type of outlet like music is fantastic. There you go. Um, and so over the years, you know, I love Bob Dylan, I love the Beatles, I love Neil Young. And over the years, I've developed a taste for jazz. So, yeah, um, there's not necessarily one piece of music that I say this is my go-to song, mm-hmm. but I, I, I connect so deeply with music, and it's just to the point where some days I come home from work, I feel stressed. I'm just going to sit mm-hmm. down and put on a song, and the song, and I close my eyes and I just try to dive into the song.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, I love that. You immerse yourself.
1: Right. With Dylan in particular, though, he's a very, very intelligent person. And his lyrics are are, are interesting and deep. And, you know, for those who know Dylan well, he's had like five different careers because he started out as a folk singer doing some protest songs. And then he became kind of a folk folk rock mixture. Then he became rock and roll um you know w- with kind of this psychedelic stuff with blonde on blonde
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and then at that time the beatles were doing sergeant pepper but he decided he had the motorcycle accident and then he went in the opposite direction and did john wesley right. harding which exactly, was exactly yeah more focused and then he went to nashville and did a country album so he's had different phases of his life as a career and i mean he's just Wonderful to listen to. And
0: and, and for those I who want to know more about that, we should recommend the film I'm Not There. which I'm is,
1: Not There is a great film. It is a, very, it's a it's Which kind a, of
0: talks about the different Bob Dylan's.
1: Right, exactly. But the, the connection I would make to answer your original question about Bob Dylan is that a large part of what he sang about was issues that are important for social justice. Yeah. And, you know, the term social justice warrior, you know, that, that's just a term that's become controversial in the, in the news and you know the conservatives try to talk about social justice warriors this that and the other thing I mean I'm a practicing lawyer and so when I hear Dylan sing about certain things and he wrote a song about Hurricane Carter for instance he wrote a song called the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll where uh, uh, a maid was mistreated by a gentleman named William Zanzinger in Maryland
0: in Baltimore bar in Baltimore, Baltimore
1: yes. yes so you know hearing those songs and understanding that he took to his craft to fight the injustices. I felt a sense of that as being a lawyer and I've tried to carry that out mostly through doing cases against the police for misconduct. Yeah, There are many, many good police officers but sometimes police officers go too far and that's why I like to step in and try to help
0: people. Well, you've just made some wonderful points of having an outlet you know, no matter what you do, whether you have a stressful job or not a stressful job or kids or no kids, it's always good to have an outlet, whether that's fly fishing or Bob Dylan. And uh, I love how the music inspires you to um, do what you do. You
1: know, it's funny because um, one of my daughters came in one day and said, Listen, Dad, I'm sorry, but I got something to tell you. I'm like, What is it? What? Like, I don't like Bob Dylan.
0: Oh, my kids hate it. The voice. Can't well, stand and they it. They said
1: the voice, and other people have said the voice. And I said to her, Listen, I hope that you find a musician in your life
0: mm-hmm.
1: who reaches you the way that Bob Dylan reaches me. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I'm not offended that my daughters don't like Bob Dylan. That's, you know, they have to make their choices. I mean, as a parent, that's what I want.
0: Well, um, what's the Sam cook quote. It's not how pretty the voice is. It's whether what they're saying is true. Is that whether
1: it's I it, I don't think but was it Sam cook. I thought it was someone else. I
0: thought it was Sam cook, but well, I mean, it, I mean,
1: it, it doesn't matter how pretty the voice is. It. Yeah. Matters whether the words are getting through to you.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: Right. And, um, you know, Neil Young is in that school of thought, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so, some people, my my brother Michael, oh, I hate Bob Dylan. How can you listen to that voice? Yeah. Say, well, I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And I love Bob Dylan. Th- thank, I, thank God
0: for earbuds. I get the same stuff.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I, I, mean lately, I... Lately, no. I've been... I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, lately... No. I, you know, as you get older, your I'm going to say your musical tastes change, but I'm always looking for something new to listen to. And I, I feel the same connection that I have with Dylan with, you know, John Coltrane and Miles Davis and Louis Armstrong and Billy Holiday. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, that stuff's just wonderful to listen to. And it just, it's soothing and it's, it takes you to a different place.
0: Um. Do you mind if I pivot to something um, personal that that you went through? Because um, it was difficult, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. You you had a diagnosis, which was really challenging. I'd love to hear how that how you overcame that, and you know. Oh sure, I I mean because it's a you know I think as we get to a certain age, um, that not only do the stakes get higher health wise, but we have kids and we have a wife and this stuff as i get older i'm not nearly as old as you but it really scares me you can't tell
1: by your beard though i know i know you got that
0: great i'm getting gray it really scares me and 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 obviously there are so many um random unknowable suffering in the world people healthy as hell and then getting cancer and dying and i'm not trying to be morbid but tell me about that experience for you um having kids well I'll,
1: i'll start by saying this it's been 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't occupy much of my thought because I got lucky with mm-hmm. uh, a good doctors and an, and an early diagnosis. And um, so, I mean, you want the whole story or the shortened version?
0: I just, I just you I'm know just, I'm a talker. <laughs> well, I just think I want to talk about adulting and fathering and, and challenges. Okay, I'll and sometimes, tell you the salient points. Sometimes there. health is a part of that. And I think it's important, part of your narrative. I, had, um,
1: I have a friend who sells health, health and life insurance. Mm-hmm. Good guy, not really pushy about it. And he, but after I had the kids, he was telling me, you know, you ought to do this, Matt. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. Because mm-hmm. I was very healthy growing up and throughout my 20s and 30s. And finally, I got around and I, I submitted an application for life insurance. And um, when that application was pending, I went to the doctor and got diagnosed with testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. and of course i had to disclose that to the insurance company and it was devastating um i mean the news is scary but yeah. i i didn't flip out because you, you quickly look on the internet and do research and you realize that you know it's very curable if they catch it early and
0: but the word you know, you know cancer.
1: well because when i was growing up i was born in 70 you know yeah. when i was growing up you hear that well you know aunt sadie has cancer right. and you're like shit she's gonna die like right. That, that's what, that's what it was in the 70s but for, for people out there who are listening and, and have a cancer diagnosis, it is far from that. There are many treatment options and you know I felt that I would just look at it logically, follow the doctor's advice and do what I had to do. Mm. So in, in this case, I was pissed at myself that I didn't file uh, 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 apply for health insurance earlier because life insurance mm. earlier because the premium, went up 10 times been there it's terrible mm-hmm. and i felt like a fool um on a personal level I, you know i went to the doctor I, it sent me to an ultrasound the ultrasound confirmed that there was a tumor but it's still you, you needed to get uh with this type of cancer testicular cancer they currently give the final diagnosis once they do a surgery and remove it they don't do a biopsy because of the nature of the organ and they don't want to open it up and spread the cancer cells so they remove the organ at least that's mm-hmm. what i understood and and i you know i met my i met the doctor it all happened very very quickly by the way yeah. to my primary care one day two days later i went to get the ultrasound back to the primary care doctor that day next day to the surgeon the uh, um urologist and he's like what are you doing friday and i'm like what do you mean he's like in two, uh, he's like two days from now, I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, well, we, we got to remove the organ. And, you know, he was straightforward about it and 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 explained that that's the only way to do it. So I didn't have time to really ruminate about it because I had surgery really quickly. I was scared, though, mostly because my children were young at the time. Yeah. I mean, they were. They still
0: are, but really young.
1: They were really young. I mean, Anna was under three and Sophia was under five, under mm-hmm. maybe, you know, if I'm getting the dates right. Sophia was under five and Andrew was under three. So, you know, I, I just remember coming home and sitting on the edge of my bed and I'm not one given to hysterics or tears. And and I just remember sitting there and, and kind of putting my head on my forehead and, and thinking, you know, this, I really hope I don't die from this. Yeah. Um, because I, I want to help these kids and I want to see them grow up. And uh, I've already screwed up the life insurance thing. So I got to stick around. And I didn't feel a great sense of panic, but I I do remember saying, you know, if I get through this, I'm going to kiss more babies and be nicer to people and get up and exercise and treat my Uh life right. And all this stuff, of course, like within three months, (laughs) within
0: (laughs) this guy's still a dick. I'm just within, (laughs) within,
1: you know, so you go what you have to follow up with the doctor to get blood work and, and cat scans done to see, because even though they remove the organ, Uh, microscopically could still be in your system so Mm. i had to go through all of that and and it was nerve-wracking but after about three months i was pretty comfortable with the idea that it hadn't spread and you know certainly after a year i'm like yeah this is not a problem anymore and i didn't Mm. change a goddamn thing you know i I didn't exercise more i didn't eat better you know but
0: but 10 years now cancer free
1: Ten years cancer free. Just last month was the, the ten year anniversary. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I got to tell you something. I, I don't really feel. I, I understand that I had cancer, but I, mm-hmm. I don't feel that I had the experience that a lot of less fortunate people have, where they have right. to go through chemotherapy and radiation, all this stuff. Yeah. I just had to have the surgery, and then don't don't get me wrong. It was definitely upsetting, and it was definitely nerve wracking, but. You know, if you're but going you to cancer, what, this is the type to get, basically.
0: I think, though, at least for me, I'll just speak for myself. I had skin cancer, thankfully, non-melanoma, basal cell carcinoma, which is very, very common and very easy to treat. And I know all that, but I think there, there could be like a little bit of a trauma, you know, psychologically that you have there, like that, me, like I had cancer. And that, at least for me, it sticks with me for a while, you know. And well, oh, I totally it, it agree changes with that. the way I look at my skin, of course, which it should. And I and I get checkups, and I, I do think it, at least for me, it changes. I don't know. It, like, uh, it can happen at any age. Anything can happen at any age. But it, it, for me, as we get older, it's like, wow, my mortality becomes sure. more and more real.
1: <laughs> well, I would totally agree with that because you, you think of cancer as something that other people get, right? And then I remember saying to myself, gee, you know, when it happened, I'm like, shit, I have cancer. What the, This yeah. is crazy. But you just learned to live with it. And, and, and you were only wife, 40.
0: You were four, like 40, 40. I
1: was 41 at the time. When no, I was 40, yeah. going on 41, after right. My wife was great. Yeah. Um, my mom and dad were supportive. Friends were supportive. You know, I remember that I had to have emergency surgery, but I was also due out in Garrett County for a case. And I called mm. up a friend of mine. I said, look, this is what happened. I really don't have a lot of time to k- kind of draft a motion and send it out to her. Could, could right. you please just call the court and do what you have to do? And this, this lawyer friend of mine stepped up and did it. And, and people were very, very nice about that. And, um, but it, it's an, it, it, the thing of the mm-hmm. thing of it was you do think about mortality, but what I think more about is that I got very lucky Yeah. and I have a good friend now who, who has stage four lung cancer. And, and I can't imagine what it's like to go through that because he's mm-hmm. got an ongoing thing where he's got to take these, uh, immunosuppressant pills and go to chemotherapy and all that. And yeah. I feel like that's kind of like the real deal cancer. I feel like I had right. cancer light right. and I, I'm not one of those people that's going to use it as a crutch no. or whatever it happened. No, I know what fantastic. you mean. I'm
0: like, I you know, I didn't have real skin cancer, but, but it is right. still a stress and you did have. Right.
1: right. And then the most, I'll repeat what I said, but the most upsetting part of it was to say, to think, I'm not going to see my children grow up. Yeah. And I'm not saying that was a rational thought, but you hear the word cancer and then you think death. Mm-hmm. It turned out that wasn't the case at all, but that's the thought I had. And it, it, it was unsettling.
0: Well, my friend, um, you've had a lot of living and I hope you have, you know, 50 more years of that. And I, I hope, and I know that your father's probably very proud, right, beautiful family. He, he's told
1: me that. Yeah. My mom and dad have, have been very supportive and I, I, I feel I'm very lucky in many, many ways.
0: And you did it your way. You're still doing it your way. You followed your heart. And you have this beautiful business. It's yours. And you're doing it out of integrity, not out of expectation. And I bet you can watch the game. I'm when... doing
1: it for integrity and money. And money. Which I mean, is not am the... not, not. I'm not a complete mercenary. But I mean, I try to have a mix of cases that are part social justice, like the police cases. And I need to make a living. So I...
0: And you watch the damn game when you want. <laughs>
1: I, that's the best part of being your own boss
0: watch the game when you want um so i know you have to roll out of here skedaddle as they say is um i think you've given us some really good uh, wisdom it's really just good to hear from a from a guy a dad who's kind of gone through the ringer of kids wife relationships career and i appreciate your candor um any other words of wisdom before we uh Give us a couple albums before you go. Like a couple, like here, someone who's All like, right, hey, you know, you some- I want to I I listen to what Bennett's telling me to listen to. Okay. So
1: if, if you're new to Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. I would say that you start with, I'll give you four albums to start with. Yeah. Not necessarily his most famous and not necessarily his best album, but I would start with Blonde on Blonde, of Blood course. on the Tracks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'll say John Wesley Harding, only because it's. Just a sweet album that, that that's calming, um, and and of course Highway 61 Revisited. Okay. Okay. And I will
0: put an asterisk that say you and I don't always agree. I'm more, I, I do more appreciate the late period Dylan, and we'll still see him in concert. Matthew has a different view, and that's okay. Uh, we still I, love I, I, Bob.
1: Can I say a few other things?
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. Sorry, we can edit this out. Say whatever you. That's want. fine.
1: Billie yeah. Holiday, yeah. Um, for people, Lover. The quintessential Billie Holiday volumes three, four, five, two, three, four, five, and six are highly recommended. And then, for John Coltrane, I mean, he's uh-huh. so fantastic. But, you know, you got Giant Steps. You have Love Supreme. Yeah. You have um, uh, Live at. Um, Birdland, mm-hmm. and you have uh,
0: Blue Train. Those are the. Best I ones. love Blue Train, and this is going to sound really cheesy, but part, I love doing the podcast and having conversations. It's sort of like a form of jazz. We're sort of, we're not. I don't, we're just sort of a back and forth in improv. We're well, trying to harmonize. It it's right. you know, it, jazz to me is a metaphor for life. Well, we should leave it at that. I can leave it at that. It was a
1: pleasure talking to you, and it's. Thanks, I'm buddy. glad. I'm glad you're doing this because fatherhood is stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you believe in yourself and believe in your family you, you can do the things you need to do To have a good life
0: And Have those outlets, healthy outlets, the music And, and coffee, Matthew and I love Getting a little, a little cup Right It's a beautiful and thing
1: Coffee and chat and jazz and
0: Connection, that's why we get along So well, we value
1: all of the same things oh, And we're both a little bit crazy Not a lot crazy, a little bit crazy In a good way
0: crazy I would, say, I would say I'm moderately. Probably the great right. down the middle. Not not a lot. Not a little Oh, you're definitely not here. a lot crazy. Moderately. You're not, not going to have the police knock
1: on your door to take you in for some emergency petition for a mental evaluation, but
0: it's, it's still early. I'm still young. We'll see. But hopefully, we'll, yeah. we'll see. I have All faith right. in you. Thanks, man. All right, man. Have a great day. Nice to talk to you. See you. Bye. And there you have it. That was my conversation with my good friend, Matt Bennett. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Matt, for your time. He's a father. He's a lawyer. He's a Bob Dylan fan. He's an artist, and he's a really great guy. I enjoyed talking to him. I had fun. Thank you for listening, everyone. You know where to find me. F U R T H. U R dot coach. Further dot coach. Consider the five star review. I hope you're doing well and staying healthy. Hope you're joined spring, and we will see you next time. Take care.